Chapter Five of Doctor Nicholas' Experiment by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. When nowadays I look back upon the period I spent in Nicholas' company, one significant fact always strikes me, and that is the enormous number of risks we managed to cram into such a comparatively short space of time. During my somewhat checkered career. I have perhaps seen as much of what it is vaguely termed life as most men. I have lived in countries the very reverse of civilised. I have served aboard ships where there has been a good deal more sandbagging and hazing than would be considered good for the average man's Christian temperament. And as for actual fighting, well, I have seen enough of that to have learnt one lesson, one which will probably cause a smile to rise on the face of the inexperienced and that is to keep out of it as far as possible and on all occasions to be afraid of firearms i concluded my last chapter with an account of our arrival in newcastle and explained how we were preparing to go ashore when the one-eared chinaman who i felt convinced had committed the robbery of the previous night made his appearance before us and came within an ace of taking nicola's life had it not been for my presence of mind or instinct by whichever term you please to call it, I verily believe it would have been the end of all things for the doctor. As it was, however, the knife missed its mark, and a moment later the man had sprung up the ladder into the hurricane deck and leapt the rail and plunged into the river. Being desirous of preventing the Chinaman from following us, and by that means becoming aware that we were leaving for the north in Nicola's yacht, we determined to make our way ashore and permit them to suppose we were remaining in Newcastle for some length of time. Accordingly, we descended into the wherry alongside and ordered the boatman to pull us to the nearest landing stage. Keep your eyes open and your wits about you, whispered Nicola, when we had left the boat and were making our way up to the street. They are certain to be on the lookout for us. As you may be sure, I did not neglect his warning. I had one exhibition of that diabolical celestial skill in knife-throwing and when I reflected that in a big town like Newcastle there were many dark corners and alleyways, and also that a knife makes but little or no noise when thrown, I was more than determined than ever to neglect no opportunity of looking after my own safety. When we reached the street at the rear of the docks, Nicola cast about him for a cab, but for some minutes not one was to be seen. At last a small boy obtained one for us, when the luggage had been placed on the roof, we took our seats in it. Nicola gave the driver his instructions, and in a short time we were bowling along in the direction of our hotel. Throughout the drive I could see no signs of the enemy. I was in the act of wondering how such a game as we were then playing could possibly help us if the Celestials had failed to see us come ashore. When Nicola turned to me and in his usual quiet voice said, I wonder if you'd notice that we are being followed. I replied that I certainly had not, nor could I see how he could tell such a thing. Very easily, he said. I will prove that what I say is correct. Do you remember the small boy who went in search of a cab? I answered that I did. Whereupon he bade me examine our reflection as we passed the next shop window. I did so, and could plainly distinguish a small figure seated on the rail at the back. Save this atom, ourselves and a solitary policeman, the street was deserted. 
I do see a small boy, I answered. But may he not be coming with us to try and obtain the job of carrying our luggage? He is engaged upon another now. When he came up from the river, he was on the lookout for us. Although, as you may have noticed, he pretended to be asleep in a doorway, he obtained the cab for us. As you stepped into it, he ranged up alongside and handed something to the driver. When we alight, he will wait to see that our luggage is carried in, after which he will decamp and carry the information to his employers, who will endeavour to cut our throats as soon as the opportunity occurs. You took the matter in an eminently cheerful light, I said. For my own part, I have no desire to give them the chance just yet. Is there no way in which we can prevent such a possibility occurring? It is for that reason that we are here, Nicola replied. I can assure you that I am no more anxious to die than you are. There would be a good deal of irony in having perfected a scheme for prolonging life, only to meet one's death at the hand of a Chinese ruffian in a civilised English town. Then what is your plan? I inquired. I will tell you, but do not let us speak so loud. Little pictures have long ears. My notion is that we make for the hotel, the name of which I was careful to give the driver in hearing of the boy, and we will engage a couple of rooms there, order breakfast tomorrow morning, still in the hearing of the boy, and afterwards get out of the way as quietly as possible. Sounds feasible enough, I replied, if only we can do it. But do you think the men will be so easily fooled? Well, that remains to be proved. However, we shall very soon find out. A pretty sort of thing you've let yourself in for, Master Ingleby, I thought to myself, as Nicola lapsed into silence once more. A week ago you were starving in a back street of London, and that looks very much as if you're going to be murdered in affluence in Newcastle. <laughs> However, you've let yourself in for it, and have only yourself to blame for the result. Consoling myself in this philosophic way, I held my peace until the cab drew up before the hostelry to which my companion had alluded. As soon as we were at a standstill, Nicola alighted, went into the hotel to inquire about rooms. As we agreed, I remained in the cab until he returned. It's all right, Ingleby, he cried, as he crossed the pavement again. They're very full, but we can have the rooms until the day after tomorrow. After that, we must look elsewhere. Now let us get the traps inside. The porter emerged and took our luggage, and we accompanied him into the building. As we did so, I saw the ragged urchin who had ridden behind the cab draw nearer the portico. The manager received us in the hall. Numbers 59 and 60, he said to the porter. Would you care for any supper, gentlemen? We thanked him, but declined, and then followed the porter upstairs into the rooms in question. Having seen my luggage safely installed, and the man on his way downstairs, Nicholas showed himself ready for business. When you get into these sort of scrapes, he said, it's just as well to have a good memory. I know these rooms of old, and directly I saw the position we were in, I thought they might prove of use to us. When I once did the manager a good turn, when I explain matters to him, he will understand why we have taken up our abode with him, only to leave again so suddenly. Have you a sheet of notepaper and an envelope in your bag? I produced them for him, whereupon he wrote a note, and having placed a banknote inside, addressed it to his friend. I'll leave it on the chimney-piece, where the chambermaid will be certain to see it, he said. I've told the manager that we are obliged to leave in this unceremonious fashion, in order to rid ourselves of some unpleasant fellow-travellers who have been following us about, with what I can only think must be hostile intent. Until you return, I have asked him to take charge of your baggage, so that you need have no fear on that score. 
I'm sorry you should have to lose it, but I can lend you anything you may require until you get possession of it again. Now, if we can only get outside of this window and down to the Tyne side once more, without being seen, I think we may safely say we have given Quan Ma the slip for good and all. So saying, he crossed the room and threw open the window. The both active men, Nicola continued, and should experience small difficulty in dropping down to the roof of the outhouse below. Thence we can make our way along the wall to the back. Are you ready? Quite ready, I answered, whereupon he crawled out of the window, and holding on by both hands, lowered himself until his feet were only a yard or so above the roof of the outhouse to which he had referred. Then he let go and dropped. I followed his example, after which we made our way in Indian file, along the wall, past the stables, and dropped without adventure into the dark lane at the rear of the hotel. It's the first time in my life I'd left a building of that description in such an unceremonious fashion. Yet strangely enough, I remember, it caused me no surprise. In Nicola's company, the most extraordinary performances in commonplace and in the natural order of things. From now forward, we must proceed with the greatest caution, said my companion, as we regained our feet and paused before making our way down the dark lane towards a small street at the further end. They are scarcely likely to watch the back of the hotel, but it will be safer for us to suppose them to be doing so. Acting up to this decision, we proceeded with as much caution as if every shadow were an enemy, and every doorway contained a villainous celestial. We saw nothing of the men we feared, however, and eventually reached the thoroughfare leading to the docks without further adventure. But fortunate as we had so far been, we were not destined to get away as successfully as we had hoped to do. We were within sight of the river when something, I cannot now remember what, induced me to look back. I did so just in time to catch a glimpse of a figure emerging from the shadow of a tall building. At any other time, such a circumstance would have given rise to no suspicion in my mind. But, worked up to such a pitch as I was then, I seemed gifted with an unerring instinct that told me as plainly as any words that the man in question was following us and that he was the Chinaman we were so anxious to avoid. I pointed him out to Nicola and asked whether he agreed with me as to the man's identity. You will soon decide that point, was his reply. Slacken your pace for a moment, and when I give the word, wheel sharply round, and walk towards him. We executed this manoeuvre and began to walk quickly back in the direction we had come. The mysterious figure was still making its way along the darker side of the street, and our suspicions were soon confirmed. For on seeing us, he turned also, and a few seconds later disappeared down a side street. He's spying on us, sure enough, said Nicola, and I do not see how we are going to baffle him. Let's hasten on to the river and trust to luck to get on board the yacht without his finding out where we have gone. Once more we turned ourselves about, and in something less than five minutes had reached the landing place for which we were steering. Then, pulling a whistle from his pocket, Nicola blew three sharp notes upon it. An answer came from the deck of the yacht out in the stream. It had scarcely died away before a boat put off from alongside the craft and came swiftly towards us. It's only a question of minutes now, said Nicola, throwing a hasty glance around him. Time versus the Chinaman. If I am not mistaken, here the boat drew up at the steps. Time has the best of it. Come along, my friend, let us get on board. I followed him down the steps and took my place in the dinghy. The men pulling bent to their oars and we shot out into the stream. 
Look, said Nicola, pointing to the place we had just left. I thought our friend would not be very far behind us. I followed with my eyes the direction in which he pointed, and sure enough, I could just distinguish a dark figure standing upon the steps. They would like to catch me if they could, observed the doctor, with a shrug of his shoulders and one of his peculiar laughs. If they've tried once, they've done so a hundred times. I will do them the credit of saying that their plans have been admirably laid, but fate has stood by me, and on each occasion they have miscarried. They tried at first at Ya Chou Fu, then at Ai Chang, afterwards in Shanghai, Rangoon, Bombay, London, Paris, and St. Petersburg, and I can't tell you how many other places, but as you see, they have not succeeded so far. But why should they do it, I ask? What is the reason of it all? That is too long a story for me to tell you now, he replied, as the boat drew up at the accommodation ladder. You shall hear it another day. Our object now must be to get away from Newcastle without further loss of time. I followed him along the deck to where a short, stout man stood waiting to receive us. Are you ready, Stevens? asked Nicola. All ready, sir, the other replied with the brevity of a man who is not accustomed to waste his words. In that case, let us start quickly as possible. At once, the man replied, and immediately went forward, while Nicola conducted me down a prettily arranged and constructed companion ladder to the saloon below. As we reached it, I heard the tinkle of the telegraph from the bridge to the engine room, and almost simultaneously the screw began to revolve, and we were under way. After the darkness outside, the brilliant light of the saloon in which we now stood was so dazzling that I failed to notice the fact that a bed-place had been made up behind the butt of the mizzenmast. Upon this lay the old Don, and seated by his side and holding his hand was the Donna Consuelo. "'My dear young lady,' said Nicola in his kindest manner, as he advanced toward her, "'I fear you must be worn out. However, we are under way again now, and I have instructed my servant to prepare a cabin for you, which I trust you will be fairly comfortable.' Donna Consuelo had risen and was standing looking into his face as if she were frightened of something he was about to say. I am not at all tired, she said. I would far rather remain here with my great-grandfather. As you wish, answered Nicola abstractedly. Then stooping, he raised the old man's left hand and felt his pulse. The long, thin fingers of the doctor, indicative of his extraordinary skill as a surgeon, seemed to twine round the other's emaciated wrist while well, his face wore a look I have never seen upon it before. It was that of the born enthusiast, the man who loves his profession more than aught else in the world. While, however, I was observing Nicola, you must not suppose I was regardless of the Donna Consuelo. To a student of character, the expression upon her face could scarcely have been anything but interesting. While Nicola was conducting his examination, she watched him, as if she dreaded what he might do next. Fear there was in abundance, but of admiration for the man I could discover no trace. The examination concluded. Nicola addressed two or three pertinent questions to her concerning her great-grandfather's health during the voyage, which she answered with corresponding clearness and conciseness. The old man himself, however, though conscious, did not utter a word, but lay staring up the skylight above his head, just as I had seen him do on board the steamship Donna Mercedes. Fully five hours must have elapsed before we reached our destination. Indeed, day had broken, and the sun was in the act of rising, 
when a gentle tapping upon the skylight overhead warned nikola that our voyage was nearly at an end leaving the old man in his great-granddaughter's care nikola signed me to follow him to the deck it may interest you to see your future home he said as we stepped out of the companion into the cool morning air and looked out over the sea which the rim of the newly risen sun was burnishing until it shone like polished silver at the moment the yacht was entering a small bay surrounded by giant cliffs against which the great rollers of the north sea broke continuously the bay itself was a deep shadow and was as dreary as a place as any i have seen i looked about me for a dwelling of any sort but not a sign of such a thing could i discover only a long stretch of frowning cliff and desolate wind-slept tableland at first glance it does not look inviting said nikola with a smile upon his face as he noticed the expression upon mine i confess i have seen a more hospitable coastline but never one better fitted for the work we have in hand but i do not see the castle i replied i have looked in every direction but can discover no trace of it one of its charms he continued triumphantly you cannot see it because at present it is hidden by yonder headland when we are safely in the bay however you will have a good view of it it is a fine old building and in bygone days must have been a place of considerable importance ships innumerable have gone to pieces in sight of its turrets while deep down its own foundations i am told there are dungeons enough to imprison half the county see we are opening up the bay now and in five minutes shall be at anchor i wonder what result we shall have achieved when we next steam between these heads while he was speaking we had passed from the open sea into the still water of the bay and the yacht was slowing down perceptibly gradually the picture unfolded itself until standing out in bold relief upon the cliffs like some grim sentinel of the past the castle for which some time to come at least was destined to be my home came into view who its architect had been i was never able to discover but he must have been impregnated with the desolation and solemn grandeur of the coast and in his building have tried to equal it as nikola had said a place better fitted for the work we had to do could not have been discovered in the length and breadth of england the nearest village was upwards of twelve miles distant farms or dwelling-house there were none within view of its towers tourists seldom ventured near it for the reason that it was not only a place difficult of approach but what was perhaps more of importance because there was nothing of interest to be seen when you reached it as i gazed at it i thought of the girl in the saloon below and wondered what her feelings would be and what her life would be like in such a dismal place i glanced at nikola who was gazing up at the grim walls with such rapt attention that it was easy to see his thoughts were far away then the telegraph sounded and the screw ceased to revolve the spell was broken and we were recalled to the realities of the moment i was miles away said nikola looking round at me i could see you were i answered you'd be very surprised if you knew of what i was thinking he continued i was recalling a place not unlike this but ten thousand miles or more away it is a monastery similarly situated on the top of enormous cliffs it was there that i obtained the secret which is the backbone of the discovery we are about to test i have been in some queer places in my time but never such a one as that but we haven't time to talk of that now 
what we have to do is get the old man ashore and up to yonder building if anything were to happen to him now i think it would break my heart and his great-granddaughters also i put in you must admit she is devoted to him he threw a quick glance at me as if he were trying to discern how far i was interested in the beautiful girl in the saloon below whatever conclusion he may have come to however he said nothing to me upon the subject having ordered the captain to see the boat which had been specially prepared for the work of carrying the old gentleman ashore brought alongside he made his way to the saloon and i accompanied him we have reached our destination dona consuelo he said as he approached the bed beside which she was sitting as he spoke there leapt into her eyes the same look of terror i had noticed before it reminded me more than anything else of the expression one sees in the eyes of a rabbit when the snare has closed upon it as i noticed it for the first time since i had known him a feeling of hatred for nikola came over me it was not until we were in the boat and were making our way ashore that i found the opportunity of speaking to her without nikola overhearing us courage my dear young lady courage i said believe me there is nothing to fear i will pledge my life for your safety she gave me a look of gratitude and stooped as if to arrange the heavy travelling rug covering her aged relative in reality i believe it was to hide the tears with which her eyes were filled from that moment there existed an indefinable real bond between us and though i did not realize it at the moment the first mark had been made upon the chain with which nikola imagined he had bound me to him on reaching that side of the bay on which there was a short strip of beach the boat was grounded the four sailors immediately took up the litter upon which the old man lay and carried it ashore the path up to the castle was a steep and narrow one and the work of conveying him to the top was by no means easy eventually however it was accomplished and we stood before the entrance to the castle moat there was none but in place of it spanned by the drawbridge a ponderous affair something like fifty feet long by ten wide was an enormous chasm going sheer down in one drop fully two hundred feet at the bottom water could be seen and at night when the tide come in the gurgling and moaning which rose from it was sufficient to appall the stoutest heart welcome to allardyne castle said nikola as we crossed the bridge and entered the archway of the ancient keep then bending over the old man on the litter he added when you cross this threshold again my old friend i hope you will be fully restored to health and strength a young man again in every sense of the word Donna consuelo I am all anxiety to hear your opinion of the apartments I have caused to be prepared for you. Moving in procession as before, we crossed the great courtyard which echoed to the sound of our footsteps, and reaching a door on the farther side, entered and found ourselves standing in a well-proportioned hall, from which a staircase of solid stone, up which a dozen soldiers might have marched abreast, led to the floors above. With Nicola still in advance, we made the ascent, turned to the right hand and proceeded along a corridor upwards of fifty yards in length out of which opened a number of lofty rooms before the door of one of these nikola paused this is the apartment i have set aside for your own particular use my dear young lady he said and with that he threw open the door and showed us a large room carpeted curtained and furnished in a fashion i was far from expecting to find in so sombre a building should there be anything wanting he said you will honour me by mentioning it 
and I will do all that lies in my power to supply it. Her face was very pale, and her lips trembled a little, as she faltered a question as to where her great-grandfather was to be domiciled. I have come to the conclusion that, for the future, it would be better, said Nicola, speaking very slowly and distinctly, as if in anticipation of future trouble, that you should entrust him to my care. Ingleby and I, between us, will make ourselves responsible for his safety, and you may rest assured we will see that no harm comes to him. You must endeavour to amuse yourself as best you can, consoling yourself with the knowledge that we are doing all that science can do for him and as he said this he smiled a little sarcastically as if a reading of the word science would be likely to differ considerably from his but you surely do not mean that i am to give him up to you entirely she cried this time in real terror you cannot be so cruel as to mean that well dr nicola i implore you not to take him altogether from me i cannot bear it my dear young lady said nicola a little more sternly than he had yet spoken in this matter you must be guided by me i can brook no interference of any description surely you should know me well enough by this time to be aware of that but he's all i have to live for all i have to love the girl faltered can you not make allowance for that her voice was piteous in its pleading and when i heard nicholas chilling tones as he answered her i could have found it in my heart to strike him to have interfered at all however would have done no sort of good so hard as it seemed i was perforce compelled to hold my tongue if you love your great-grandfather he said you will offer no opposition to my scheme i will return him to you a different man but we are wasting time and these stone corridors are too cold and draughty for him if you will be guided by me you will rest a little after your exertions there is an old woman below who shall come to you and do her best to make herself useful to you. Seeing that to protest further would be useless, the girl turned and went into the room, trying to stifle sobs that would not be kept back. The sight was one which would have grieved a harder heart than mine, and it hurt me the more because I knew that I was powerless to help her. All this time the four sailors who had carried the litter up from the beach had been silent spectators to the scene. Now they took up their burden once more and followed Nicola along the corridor, up some more steps, down still another passage, till I lost count of the way we had come. The greater portion of the castle had been allowed to fall into disrepair. Heavy masses of cobwebs stretched from wall to wall. A large proportion of the doors were even worm-eaten, and in some instances had even fallen in altogether, revealing desolate apartments in which the wind from the sea whistled and the noise of the waves echoed with blood-curdling effect reaching the end of the second corridor nicola paused before a heavy curtain which was drawn closely from wall to wall and ordered the men to set down their burden they obeyed and on being told to do so took their departure with as much speed as they could put into the operation if i know anything of the human face they were not a little relieved at receiving permission to clear out of a place that had every right to be considered the abode of a certain old gentleman whom it scarcely becomes me to mention. When the sound of their footsteps had died away, Nicola drew back the curtain and displayed a plain but very strong wooden door. From the fact that the workmanship was almost new, I surmised that my host had placed it there himself, 
but for what purpose i could only conjecture taking a key from his pocket he slipped it into the patent lock turned the handle and the door swung open take up your end of the litter he said and help me carry it inside i did as i was ordered and bearing the old man between us we passed into that portion of the castle which as i soon discovered he had fitted up in readiness for the great experiment having passed the door we found ourselves in a comparatively lofty room or perhaps i'd better say hall the walls of which were covered almost entirely with anatomical specimens from what i could see of them i should say that many were quite unique while all were extremely valuable where and by what means he had collected them i was never able to discover though nikola on one or two occasions threw out hints there they were however and i promised myself that during my stay in the place i would use them for perfecting my own knowledge on the subject at the end of the hall looking over the sea was a large window while in either wall were several doors all of which like that in the corridor were heavily curtained the carpet was of cork quite noiseless the lights were electric the batteries and dynamos being in the room below the heating arrangements were excellent while the ventilation was of the most modern and improved description i noticed that nicholas smiled a little contemptuously at my astonishment you were unprepared for this surprise he said let me give you a little piece of advice and that is never be astonished at anything you may see or hear while you are with me the commonplace and i i can assure you once and for all do not live together i have homes in all parts of the world i am in england to-day engaged upon one piece of work and in six months time i may be in india japan peru kamchatka or if you like it better shall we say playing tricks with niggers in cape coast castle but see we are keeping our old friend waiting i will find out if all the preparations i have ordered are complete if so we will convey him at once to the chamber set apart for him with that he touched a bell and almost before he had removed his finger from the button a curtain at the farther end was drawn aside and the same chinese servant the deaf and dumb individual i mean who had brought the letter to me at my lodgings in london the previous week entered the room seeing his master he bent himself double and when he had resumed his upright posture as curious a conversation commenced as i had ever known i use the word conversation for the simple reason that i do not know how else to describe it as a matter of fact it was not a conversation at all for the reason that not a word was spoken on either side their lips moved but not a sound come from them yet they seemed quite able to understand one another if however it was a strange performance it had the least the merit of being an extremely successful one he tells me that everything is prepared nikola remarked as the man crossed the room and drew back another curtain from a doorway on our left this is the room but before we carry him into it i think we'd better have a little light upon the subject to press the electric switch was the work of a moment and as soon as this had been done we once more took up our burden and carried it into the inner room prepared as i had been by the outer hall for something extraordinary i was perhaps not so much surprised at the apartments in which i now found myself as i should otherwise have been and yet it was sufficiently remarkable to fill any one with wonder it was upwards of twenty feet in length possibly eighteen in width the walls and the ceilings were as black as charcoal 
when the electric light was extinguished not a ray of anything would be visible in the centre was a strange contrivance which i could see was intended to serve as a bed and for some other purpose which at the moment was not quite apparent to me in the farther corners were a couple of queer-looking pieces of machinery one of which reminded me somewhat of an unusually large electric battery the other i could not understand at all a machine twice the size of those usually employed for manufacturing ozone stood opposite the door thermometers of every sort and description were arranged at intervals along the walls while on one side was an ingenious apparatus for heating the room and on the other a similar one for cooling it at the head and foot of the bed were two brass pillars the construction and arrangements of which reminded me of electric terminals on an exaggerated scale we placed the old gentleman on the bed the litter was thereupon removed by the servant and nikola and i stood facing each other across the form of the man who was to prove or disprove the feasibility of the discovery of my extraordinary employer claimed to have made for twenty-four hours said nikola he must have absolute peace and quiet nothing must disturb him nor must he take food but is he capable do you think i asked of going without nourishment for so long a time perfectly on the draught i am about to administer him he could do without it were such a thing necessary for a much longer period indeed it would not hurt him if he were to eat nothing for a month he left the room he left the room for a moment and when he returned he carried in his hand a tiny phial of the same description though much smaller as those which had been stolen from me on board the steamer it contained a thick red mixture which when he removed the stopper threw off a highly pungent odour he opened the mouth of the patient and poured upwards of a teaspoonful of it as before i expected to see some immediate result but my curiosity was not gratified deftly arranging the bed coverings nikola inspected the thermometers tested the hot and cold air apparatus and then turned to me he will require little or no supervision for some hours to come he said so we may safely leave him to while away the time if you care about it i will show you something of my abode i think i can promise you both instruction and amusement End of chapter five